the maker of heaven and earth. We sing to him this morning. Maybe we're going through a struggle or maybe we're going through some joys, but we can set aside this time to praise and worship the Lord and acknowledge who he is and really lean into it. This way maker, this way maker, this promise keeper. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you. We thank you. And we ask now by your Holy Spirit that you would give us attentive minds. You are here by your presence and your Holy Spirit. Minister to us. Be honored and glorified among us. Comfort us. Challenge us. Help us to not only know, but to experience your very real living presence. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hmm. Amen. Yes. It was a fairly early morning on this hill where the disciples had gathered. It was kind of still a bit cool, but you could feel that the warm was coming in. You could feel it. And it was like the city of Jerusalem itself was just starting to wake up. And those that were making bread and they were starting to get going in the outdoor brick and stone ovens were getting lit. You could see the fires as they were standing on this hill. A lot had transpired in the 40 days leaning up to their being together like this. Jesus had visited with them in flesh and blood on the other side of his death and crucifixion. He was actually with them after he had been crucified and risen from the dead and he presented himself to them in flesh and blood and he spoke to them and he presented himself and they could touch him and see him and hear him and eat with him. And he, had, he said to them, stay in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father. A promise. Something that was is, is graciously given, not negotiated, not earned, not because of merit, but a promise from the Father that is going to be given. Jesus had told them in the preceding days, He said, this is what you've heard from me. I've talked about this. You've heard me talk about John the Baptist and how John the Baptist was baptizing by water, but you would be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Baptized. A figure of speech now. Not the way they had been baptized, but another figure of speech, something poignant, a significant event, an anointing, a presence. And it seemed like in those days that Jesus was giving, it seemed like his final address. And his departing words, he kept saying, 
the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. What was it that he was speaking about? What was this promise? And now, on this day, in this early morning, they walked together, and they were making their way to the the hill east of Jerusalem, to the Mount of Olives. That's where they found themselves, and the disciples could recognize the, the significance that was beginning to dawn on them, how magnificent and significant and monumental this was. And so they asked Jesus, is this the time? Is this the time that you are going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Restore. Is this the time you're going to return something to a good state? Is this the time you're going to heal? You're going to make something new? Is this the time, Lord, when you're going to restore us? Restore our people. Restore our land. Will you restore? And this is what Jesus replied as he hears them ask this question. Acts chapter 1 verse 6. Acts chapter 1 verse 6. So when they had come together on this hill, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. It is not for you to know the times or periods. God alone knows the time and the period when he will perfectly, completely restore. And what I find fascinating is that in Jesus' reply, he replies and responds to their question about the timing, but not to restoring Israel. He says, the time, the Greek word is chronos, which is, we might think of a sequence, the sequencing, the timing. And then he says, period, kairos, that is the epic or the the season or the chapter. Neither one of those... Those are God's jurisdiction. That is His jurisdiction. That is His domain. It's not about when. It's about how. It's about how. How will God restore? Especially as Jesus knows that His Physical time on earth is coming to an end. How will God restore in light of Jesus' physical absence on earth? Restoration. Do you and I need to be restored? Is there some restoring that we need in our lives? Maybe... uh, a restoring of your health. Maybe a restoring of something as regular as a routine. Or like we might summarize it as like restoring our life. 
And as more and more as I talk to you and get to know you, something that we seem most, if not all of us, seem to share is we desire for there to be a restoration in a relationship. We need a relationship to be restored, whether that is a family member or a friend or a co-worker or even restoring our relationship with the Lord. Restore. Bring, return to a good state. Make healthy. Make new. Even the church. Lord, restore the church. Lord, restore Westview. And what's interesting to me, I can speak personally, and I'm looking at the Lord and appealing to Him to restore relationships. And like the disciples, I want to, and maybe you want to, the question is when? When? I've been waiting. When? The PMPs, the project managers, the, the type A's, the schedulers, maybe some of the engineers, those, we'd like to know when. But Jesus is making it clear to the disciples on this hill what they need to know and what they don't need to know. And what they need to know is that this is God's authority. The timing is God's authority. It's His jurisdiction. It's His domain. And even if it feels like it's out of control, it's not. It's in control. Because it's God's authority. The maker of heaven and earth. It's in control. And so it's really a question of how. Not when, but how will God restore? Especially in light of the fact that Jesus is not physically present on earth. And we humans struggle with something that a phrase has been coined to, to articulate what we struggle with, and that is out of sight, out of mind. Well, if Jesus is not here physically, then how does this work? And maybe it's not true. And Psychologists call it uh, what you see is all there is, but it's not true. It's what you see is not all there is. There's more. How will God restore? How will He do it? Well, we have the Bibles. We have a Bible. Will He restore by Scripture? You know I memorize Scripture. Our board memorizes Scripture. Our staff team memorizes Scripture. The Lord to Joshua said, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. That's Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. But I will tell you, friends, that the Scriptures point, but the Scriptures are not how God is going to restore it. Not directly. How will God restore our lives and our relationship and the church and Westview? Especially when we cannot see the physical presence of Jesus. A little later on, I'm going to pause as we return to our Q&R time. And so you can 
text or you can email to ask at westviewchurch.ca and we'll take your questions or you can stand where you are and Tyler will bring a microphone to you and we'll interact a little bit because I want you to think critically and bring your questions so that we can share together in that discussion. And we come back to this hill, the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. It's actually where Jesus entered. We call it His triumphal entry, but where He entered, He came from there when He was entering Jerusalem the week before His crucifixion. And now He is there with His disciples on this day. And he is going to describe the effects and the impact. What is it of this baptism of the Holy Spirit? What is the impact, the effect of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And he says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. That Greek word is dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite from. That word dunamis or dynamite is used 120 times in the New Testament. It means strength, mighty deeds. Jesus would even use it to uh, uh, describe miracles. And he said, you will receive dunamis, you will receive dynamite, you will receive miracles and mighty deeds. This will come upon you and then you will be my witnesses. This word witness, listen, brothers and sisters, witness is, it is something you know. But it is also, witness is something you see and hear and experience. In fact, the experiential aspect, the being present aspect, was a necessary criteria for the authors of Scripture and especially the Gospels. It was, they experienced the power and presence of Jesus. It wasn't just passing on information. So much so that the word witness here, the Greek word is martis. It is where we get our English word martyr from. He said, you will be my martyrs to the disciples. You will be so encompassed with this that you will know and you will experience and you will give your very lives because of what you are going to experience and what you have experienced. And you will give your very lives to this. The power to even give your very life in witness. And what's interesting is Jesus also says, you will be my witnesses. Because all of the knowledge and what we see and experience as he's telling the disciples is still about Jesus. And so what he is doing is he is explaining to the disciples that God is going to restore. And he is going to restore through the presence and the work and the power, particularly of the Holy Spirit. It is by the Holy Spirit that this revolution of restoration will unfold. Luke is the author of Acts. He is also the author of the Gospel of Luke. And listen to what Luke describes at the beginning of Acts chapter uh, 3. 
uh, Acts chapter 1 rather, these first two verses of chapter 1. In the first book, Theophilus, Luke says, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Luke is saying, I wrote to you in my first volume, which is the gospel, everything about Jesus, what he had taught, leading from the very beginning until his uh, resurrection and ascension. And then he says, and he gave instructions through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now the connotation is that he's going to give this second volume. Volume 2 is the book of Acts, where God's work and instruction is going to continue through the Holy Spirit, now indwelling disciples. Wow. So now the same Holy Spirit that was raised Jesus from the dead enabled him to give this instruction to do powerful works. Now, Jesus is saying the promise of the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit is going to come on you, disciples, you, church. Well, they're standing outside on this hill. <laughs> and they, they must be stunned. They're, they're trying to process the fact that Jesus, this risen man in flesh and blood, has been talking to them for 40 days, and now he is talking about a promise of the Father, about the Holy Spirit, and that that same Holy Spirit is going to come on them, and that they're going to be witnesses. And in this stunned and yet the magnitude of this moment, and the witnessing is not done because, in that immediate same sense, they're looking at Jesus outside as this warm weather is coming in, it's like something else happens. Acts 1, verse 9. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing upward toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away, about three quarters of a mile. The power of the Holy Spirit now raises Jesus, lifts him up off of the ground and into a cloud, and he is carried away. And while they're looking up and in astonishment, trying to figure out what in the... Suddenly there's two angels, and they are talking clear as day. They can see the angels. They can hear the angels, all of them. And the angels are saying, what are you looking up there for? Jesus is going to come back that same way. Get to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. 
Jesus' ascension, another display of the Holy Spirit and power, another experience of listening and seeing and hearing these angels, and they give reassurance. They give reassurance that Jesus is coming back. The restoration has started. The revolution of restoration is about to take flight, is about to really start happening. You could be reassured of that. God is going to restore, is the message to the disciples. Get to Jerusalem and be a part of it. Be ready to receive. Be ready to be a witness. Well, it doesn't depend on you, disciples, but you can be involved, you can be included. And here we see the desire of God is, yes, to both restore and to involve His disciples in that restoration. It's powerful. And here Jesus and the Holy Spirit and His disciples, from this point on, they are inseparably bound together. John, in the Gospel of John, he, he says that when you say yes to following Jesus, and you, yes, Jesus is Lord, that you receive the Holy Spirit, and you become, as Paul would later say, uh, sealed, you become changed, you are inseparably bound with Jesus and the Holy Spirit by God's promise. You are inseparably bound together in life from that point on. Eternal life. You have passed out of death into life, as John writes in chapter 5 of the gospel. So the kingdom of God, then, is both external, yes, but it is also internal. And so, too, is His restoration. When He restores, He restores internally our internal lives, our thoughts, our emotions, our spiritual life, and externally relationships and routine and all of that. It is both internal and external. Theologian professor Willie James Jennings says this is the revolution of the intimate. And it's a certain kind of power, this power that is given to you and me and us. It's a certain kind of power. The source of the power is the Holy Spirit. The source of the power. And it's very different than any kind of worldly power. It is not a political power. It's not a power that is given because you have a title or you have an office or you have a certain amount of money or you have an education or you have a stature or you have a house or you don't have a house or you have a car or you don't have a car. This is a power that is given by the Holy Spirit. To each and every boy and girl, man and woman who says, yes, Jesus is Lord of my life. And that power has a particular effect. It's always moving in a particular direction. A power that is not about corruption, coercion, force, violence, condemnation. This is a power of the Holy Spirit that is leading to resurrection, to bringing life where there is no life, to bringing restoration where there was harm and hurt, to bringing life.
And that baptism of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus was describing it, that outflowing, that significant experience of the Holy Spirit, it comes on groups of people. The manifestation, the working of the Holy Spirit, it comes on groups of people. If you were here last Sunday, it was palpable. The presence and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our midst. And many of you talked about it afterwards. You were a witness to it. Not because you know only, but because you experienced something. That something is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that came on us as His his will and His want to do. And there's something about place. There's something about place. There has always been. From the Abrahamic covenant when he said, I will give you a land, to Revelation when he talks about a new heaven and a new earth. God has emphasized that there will be a real place because as human beings in full physical form, we inhabit space and time and place. And he told the disciples, Stay and wait in Jerusalem, and there is a place, and this is so important, friends, listen to me. Place, as Dr. Jennings would would reflect, are the sites where the Holy Spirit visits us. Whether you are sitting in your chair in your living room, quietly, or whether you are on a walk with a friend or a loved one, or when we gather together, we are inhabiting a place, and it's a place where the Holy Spirit comes and visits us, and visits with us. And this place where this plane has crashed, where we understand for this village, the presence of the Holy Spirit is there. The missionaries didn't bring his presence there, but they're going to be a witness to his presence that's already there. Because he visits these sites and places and spaces where we are. We're going to pause for a Q&R time here. And as we do, what I wonder, what I wonder, I I grew up as a kid in a church setting, and maybe you could call it slightly of a more conservative setting, but the concept of experience was downplayed. Experience was downplayed. In the sense that it's, we need to know, and like Paul says in Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. But 12.1 says that we should give our bodies entirely. So there's both. But it seems like we emphasize Romans 12.2 and we neglect Romans 12.1. So what I wonder is, do we hesitate to acknowledge when we experience the very real presence of the work of the Holy Spirit that we desire to have in the first place? And would we be open when He pours out His Holy Spirit upon us? If you have a, a question, text it in, email it to ask at Westview Church. I'd love to take your questions or stand where you are. We'll just take a minute and then I want to uh, bring the music team up and I'll conclude. If you have a, a question. 
Yeah, a couple have come through so far here. This one, uh, can you please connect the when question in the sermon, I take it you know this one, with the words of the last song we sung. Mm. I'm seeing this as my need to give up my control and allowing mm. Jesus to take the wheel. Mm. Am I on the right track? Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, that's so good. Um, that last song, I think it talks about, you know, even... Oh, I get emotional sometimes. It's interesting. But even when we don't see it, you're working. Even when we don't feel it, you're working. Because that's his promise. It's his will to do that. And yeah, what Jesus was telling the disciples is, don't worry about the chronos, the sequence don't worry about the kairos, the periods, the seasons, the chapters. But understand this. God's will and trajectory and desire is to restore. And so then our focus becomes on His power and His promise. And we continually have to wrestle with relinquishing the time. Because we, our culture has so shaped us now that we are in a microwave drive through instant kind of a time frame. I've said this before, but it's gotten so crazy that we actually have drive-through fast food. Because fast food wasn't fast enough at the counter. We need to drive through and get it. So now we apply that to God, and if we're praying and we're asking for some restoration in a relationship, and if it hasn't happened by the time we've gone through the drive-through prayer, then we're concerned. And what we've got to do is just toss that. Yeah, it's so good. And focus on the promise and focus on the power of the Holy Spirit. It's His will to do. So it shapes and changes the way we pray. Interesting. How can we test if the experience is genuine and from the Holy Spirit? Mm. Yeah, that's good. So we need to test. How can we test that the experience is from or of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Okay, that's good. That's good. And, and here's where we can use Scripture, okay? So Scripture points us to Jesus, and it informs how uh, the Holy Spirit works. So if an experience, for example, is one where um, we are feeling condemned, put down, made less of or little of, Scripture says that there is no, Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of love in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. So in that case, if we're, for example, feeling put down or less, that's not from the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, if we're feeling convicted, that's, that could be the Holy Spirit. If we are feeling peace, so you could look at, you could look at the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are all the work and the outcomes of the uh, outcome of the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's good. This one's a bit of a deep dive, so we can okay. we can touch and you can go further with this probably this offline here. Yeah. But uh, let me let me say this. So yeah, most Christians, without citing an exact timeline, would say that we're in the eleventh hour. Will there be one last restoration on earth, a revival of the church, or will we just as a church kind of limp across the finish line into <laughs> okay. our eternal rest? Okay, that's good. That's good. That's good. Um, we just can't resist, right? 
Jesus said to the disciples, and he's saying to you and me right now, right here, January 15th, do not be concerned about the chronos or the kairos. Do not be concerned about the schedule, the sequence, or the chapter, or the season. Hear me. If you're in a church setting and you're sitting under somebody who's prophesying about the specifics of sequence and all of that, I think they might be going contrary to the teaching of Jesus that we just finished hearing. So we, we don't want to go there. The question is, is he restoring and is he doing that work in restoring the church and bringing people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ? And I say an absolute yes and amen, he is. And friends, I also believe that he has in mind to restore and be working powerfully in our midst, Westview, and in your families. I am so convinced of his restoration work in your lives, and in your family's lives, and in your friends' lives. He wants to. He is willing and working to do that. That is my prophetic word to you. That is the Holy Spirit. He is going to do it, and he's going to do it starting in January 2023. I believe that with all of my being. I'm beginning to experience it already and see it and witness it. And some of you are beginning. You've already started sharing stories about it. How he's doing some restoration work in your relationships in your life. I'm hearing it already starting. The church will not limp by. The gates of hell will not prevail. Hmm. I'm going to have to take this off. And I'm going to leave it on that note. Get, get me worked up. <laughs> Dude, right? Amen. Well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Amen. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's actually okay, friends. That sense of joy that you have is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. I know you want to clap for the Lord, for the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Music team, would you, you come back up here? That clapping is because we sense and we desire the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And for Jesus' teaching and instruction to reverberate. And so I think what we have here is to make a decision here, friends. Sisters and brothers, we have a decision to make. If we believe this, do we believe what Jesus was saying to the disciples? And do we believe that it's also for us today? And that this will be a priority. Do we believe that he has got a promise to restore? And as those two angels said, don't look up and don't have fear. Jesus is returning one day. To understand, do we believe and will we make it a priority? The power and the promise. The power of the Holy Spirit and the promise of the Father. We can get distracted by all kinds of things that are a shallow substitute for the power of the Holy Spirit. But we can also resolve on a daily basis to recall these words power and promise. Not calendar and timing. Power and promise. The Father's promise and His power. The Father's promise and His power. Do I believe that? Is that a priority in my life? And the second thing, brothers and sisters, this means if I believe in the power and the promise, then we must necessarily put ourselves in the path of the Holy Spirit. 
Put our lives in the path of the Holy Spirit. Get ourselves to Jerusalem. Well, what does that look like? You know, they were, they were instructed to wait. We hate that word, I think. But a wait is like that. There's a rest in music, in a musical score. There's a, sometimes they put these rests in. The music is continuing, but something is happening there as the instruments are paused for just a moment, that there's something that else is going on. And so that rest is us putting our lives on a daily basis into the path of the Holy Spirit who is going to give us the power. And that's what we do when we come together as we put ourselves together in the path and the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to me, and, and, and uh, Minoru last week, he and I, as we, we both, we hadn't sort of collaborated on what he's going to preach on uh, that much other than his text and so on and, and what sort of the Lord had prompted me. But one of the things he talked about was fasting and I had already in December uh, as I was doing my reflecting and praying and so on had already talked, written down that I want to talk with you in the coming weeks about prayer and fasting. And so we're going to explore that as another way to put ourselves in the path of the Holy Spirit, anticipating that He's going to fulfill His promises and pour out His Spirit upon us and restore, restore, restore. And so as we embark on this Acts sermon series, I want to invite you to do something that's really going to be maybe radical for some of you. But I'm going to invite you to read the book of Acts. Read the whole thing, if you can, in one sitting. It'll take you about the duration of a movie. So you can do it. Read the book of Acts and read it as a narrative. Don't try and get all, you know, dissecting and theological and doctrinal in the first time you read it. Read it and just let the story impact you. What's going on? Where are they? What's happening? If you must, do it in two sittings. And then, friends, I also want to invite you over the coming days and weeks. We have a, something called a prayer and praise card that's in the pouches in the chairs in front of you. And I want to invite you to record as you pray and as you read, to record your thoughts. And particularly if you have experienced some restoration, if you've experienced the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, a miracle, big or small, or you have a prayer request, record it on this prayer and praise card and then share it with us because in the coming weeks, we want to share what the work of the Holy Spirit is doing in our midst. And that's why the title of this sermon was called Dynamite because it's dynamite. It's excellent in its power. Let's stand together, joining our hearts, our minds, our beings, committing ourselves to the Lord. <laughs> 